If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like you to open it to 1 Peter chapter 1. In the last few weeks, I've spoken on Psalm 51 about David and, and his sin and being caught and how his sin affected him and what he was crying out for that he had once known but had lost. And one of the things that he had mentioned that he wanted, of the 11 things he mentioned, was he said, restore unto me, in Psalm fifty-one twelve. he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And we talked about joy last week, and I ended the message last week with asking the question, then, you know, we talked about the joy of the Lord, the joy set before him. He did this. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And the joy set before him was the motivation for him to go through all he went through. It was a big deal. Something out there was worth all the difficulty. And then he says, my joy, in John 15 and John 16, he said, my joy I've given to you, that your joy may be full. So it is obvious that God wants us to be joyful people, and not just occasionally joyful, but he wants us to be inherently joyful because the one who abides in us is the very epitome of joy. It's the Lord himself. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength because that's how we overcome anything and everything. The answer to the question that I asked at the end will answer what I just said about the joy of the Lord is our strength. I said, in what way then is our joy to be full? In other words, what is our joy? And we said two things. One was the promise of his word. Jesus said, these things I have spoken unto you that your joy may be full. Or in 1 John 4, he said, I write these things unto you that your joy may be full. So there's some effect the Bible, the Word of God, is supposed to have on us. First is the promise of his Word, and the second is faith. Nothing God has said will have any kind of effect upon us the way it's supposed to unless we believe it. We must believe. It says in John 15, 13, I quoted, that the God of all hope grants you peace and joy in believing that If you're willing to believe what God said, he will do a work inside of you that will overcome all the obstacles in your life. That's why he said you can count it all joy knowing something. And it's the knowing that's the key in James 1. To count it all joy in the face of adversity in the face of all kinds of circumstances or, or difficulties or attacks or loss in your life, to be able to count it all joy, you're a different kind of person than what the church is used to knowing. We've heard it. It's been preached to us. We just haven't seen much of it. Or when the fig tree in the Old Testament, the fig tree doesn't blossom, there'll be no fruit on the vine, the yield of the olive should fail, the herd be cut off from the stall, yet... Will I joy in the Lord? I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. What kind of people are we talking about? It's obviously something divine, heavenly, that's been infused or given and is abiding in somebody's life. And it has such a motivation in their life that no matter what happens, they have no reason to just give up and power down. They worship the Lord. They thank the Lord. Not because you've lost something, not because you're in dire circumstances or in prison or about to die. is in one of the churches in Revelation. But we rejoice because of what we know. That's what James said. We rejoice of what has been given us to know. But it doesn't work because you've heard it or you can quote the Bible. It only works if you believe it if you have embraced it for yourself, that God will take care of me. God is in all of my tomorrows. That God said he will do this or God will do this or that. And so when it doesn't look like things like that are going to happen or you feel like it's never going to happen, you rejoice because you believe anyway. Faith calls those things that be not as though they were. And it's vital for the church. I don't know if they understand it yet that you've got to mix faith with what you're hearing 
Otherwise, you become scholarly in knowing something without believing it. And we make this assumption that because I know something, I can quote the Bible and I go to church, therefore I'm all right. And that's not true. The people that are really all right are believers. I don't know how many people believe that. Paul said, I I praise God that when you heard the word of God from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in those who believe it. Or Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe it. Or in First Peter here, you know, I think he said in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We only endure to the end because we believe to the end. And it's vital to us. Some Christians have got this. I don't know that all do, but we still have time. So God is going to lean on us a little bit. If you believe, you've got the victory. If you take God at his word, then you have his answer. If he said he will do it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. And he sent his word for you to see it like that. God is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't say things he can't do. He doesn't change his mind. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. Or so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It won't return void. It will accomplish that which I please. It will prosper in the thing he sent it to do. We've been listening to it our whole church life. Forever, it seems like we've been to church and we've heard the gospel. We pride ourselves in hearing the word of God. But it does us no good unless we believe it. Unless you take it as a personal word from God that is a guarantee that God will do what he said. That's how you mix faith with the word. That's why joy comes forth. Because that's your answer. God's going to deliver you. God will take care of you. He will do what he said. Faith calls those things that be not as though they were. They don't look saved, but you're claiming them, so they will be. In the meantime, I'm praising God, not because of the ugliness of who I prayed for is still evident, but I praise God because that's all going to change. That's all going to change. And so we mentioned that last week, or I mentioned that last week, about our joy is not only based on the promises of the word, but the faith that God gives us to believe it. God has given us all a measure of faith. Not everybody has wanted it, therefore not all men have it. But he's given it to you for the very purpose to draw you to him so that his word is the very thing you're counting on in your life. And if you're convinced that God will do what he said in this book, if you're convinced, you rejoice. Now let's take it one step further today. I want to title the message this morning, Jesus will sing in his church. Now, that's an unusual sound. We don't hear Jesus singing in the church. We hear about singing a lot. You know, that singing was always a big part of, historically, all the revivals that we've heard of. The great moves of God through the centuries has always been marked by singing. Joyful, jubilant, exuberant singing. That something happens when God touches the heart and the soul. Something happens, and it's natural to open your mouth and begin to sing. Making melody in your heart because your heart has a new occupant. Things are different, and things have changed. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 5, it says, We are kept by the power of God through faith, Unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein, in that particular fact, it hasn't happened yet, but because we believe it, we greatly rejoice. Even though now, for a season, if necessary, you're in heaviness through many kinds or different kinds of temptations and testings. Because it's important that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, 
that your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, that's the second time he says it, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Not because of what you see happening, not because with your physical eyes you can see Jesus, but because you believe the report concerning him. Heaven, salvation, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And said that Jesus personally has made it his goal to protect us and keep us. Remember John 10 about the shepherd will keep his sheep? That's ours. I'm going to make it. Now, I'm going to make it because I believe I'm one of his elect. And he said, you make your calling and election sure. You prove it and you live it. Demonstrate it that you believe that. So I've got a guarantee here that he's going to take care of me. He's going to protect me and keep me and secure me. See, I believe in eternal security. My great, 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 great grandpa was a Baptist. So I got that down. I believe it's not because I have that, but because I believe what the Bible says, that if I'm one of his, that nobody's going to take me out of his hand. I have to prove that. I have to live that. I have to demonstrate that because you shall know a tree by its fruit. If it's a genuine this tree, it'll have genuine this fruit. If it says it's a tree of God, but it doesn't produce fruit, it's not. There's wheat and there's tares in the church as I speak. They're good fish and bad fish as I speak in the church. They live together. Sometimes you can't tell them apart, but the day will come that that'll be another message. Amen. But anyway, he says in verse 5, even though you're in heaviness, you greatly rejoice. Now, you greatly rejoice, not because you're in heaviness. You don't say, oh, boy, I'm in heaviness again. Woo, I'm in heaviness. No, you need deliverance if you act like that. You rejoice because you believe, verse 5, that God will take care of you. It doesn't look like it. You're going through this. You're going through that. You seem to have lost this. That seems to have gotten away from you, and you're all alone in the world, and nobody understands. And he said, lift up those hands that hang down and rejoice. About what? Nothing's going. I don't say rejoice because things look good. I didn't say rejoice because you feel good. I didn't say rejoice because this is a good day. Rejoice because Jesus Christ is the focus of your life and he is worth your worship and your praise. Now, if he doesn't get it that way, the only time he gets praise is when we feel like it. Well, I ain't into it much today, so I'm going to sit here and be pretty quiet. Well, that's not a good thing. Let's go on. Verse 7, he said that the trial of your faith might be found unto praise, honor, and glory. Now, what do you find in your life on those days that you have to really wrestle? Do you find sorrow, conversations about your problems, conversations about your difficulties? You call somebody or get somebody's attention so you can describe your woes and your sorrows? If so, you're missing the point, because that's not what we do. Somebody should be able to ask you a reason of the hope that is within you, not because you're moping around, but because you're cheerful. A cheerful soul is a joyful soul because they believe something that motivates them to be like that. Now, if you know that, but that doesn't motivate you, then you're pretty much as you were. You know, I think I said last week, a lot of people are uncomfortable around a lot of praise and worship, a lot of noise and clapping and exuberance. You know, I grew up in a very different situation, as I said last week, and I was uncomfortable around people like that until I became like them. Then I began to uh, see that, yeah, this is a natural thing to do, to glorify God in your body. Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 6, glorify God in your body. With your body, with your hands, clap them, raise them up. You can dance or shout or whatever you want to do. I mean, after all, this is to God. It would be better for us to shout and be joyful 
about our salvation than who won a ball game last night. I would rather God get praise from us than the University of America. If we can shout over one and get all excited about that, but we're kind of quiet before the Lord, there's something really missing in our lives. You're not a bad person. You're not an evil person. There's just something that you're either holding back or something, some barrier is keeping you from being released to worship. Because let's face it, not everybody is free to worship until they get freed, until you get loosed. And sometimes that's just a step of faith. But anyway, in verse 8, he said, The focus of our joy is Jesus, whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, and that word's in there for a purpose, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's a kind of joy that is rich spiritually. It may be misunderstood by somebody that has no joy. They might feel offended by some true joyful expression to God. But joy unspeakable and full of glory is the direct result of believing on whom you're focused on. And if Jesus is the focus the joy, the, the main object of your life, it will be natural to rejoice and to praise him. Now, turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. You see, we honor Jesus. We worship Jesus. We're supposed to worship him, are we not? That means to laud, uh, to honor, uh, to praise in various kinds of expression, whether it's dancing or shouting or clapping. I mean, we're supposed to do that because Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise and all honor. He is worthy because the word worship means one who is worthy. To worship God is to esteem him or to count him as worth what you can give him. Your sacrifice, your very best, and you can give that. You may not. You can, and you will down the road. You may not be doing it now, but we're going to keep hammering at you until you one day just let it go. But you can worship him and give him the praise that he is due. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes about the church. He says, beginning in verse 19, now, therefore, he said, we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Let's call the household of God the church, okay? This is where God brings us. We all have individual homes we live in, don't we? And God has ordained that all of us occasionally come together as one. We're all different. God knows that, and we know that. But he brings us together with a goal and a desire to make us one in purpose, to be like-minded about the same thing. Let me show you. He said, your fellow citizens with the saints, that may be the Jewish too, the Jewish saints, but with the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and here's our focus again, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And again, as our focus, in whom the whole building fitly joined together, fitly framed together, that's what the word just means framed, put together like a builder, fitly framed together, groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, how do you read that? Don't raise your hand and volunteer an answer. But think of it. I mean, these are kind of classy words. They seem to get beyond us, or we don't relate to them well. But he's bringing his people together into one place. He said the whole building is being framed together. So there is a work that's going to be done in everybody in this room. The same work. Together. It's called together. We call it unity. We call it oneness. 
The Bible speaks of it many times in the epistles. Like-minded. We'll get to that later. In whom the whole building fitly framed together grows. Would you agree with me then about this? As God puts us together and we begin to see his purpose, we begin to adjust to that and grow in that direction. That something begins to happen to all of us together. That is something that God is doing. All right, go on. That's true what I said. Verse 22, in whom you also are built, or the word, the Greek word I understand is being built, a process that's ongoing, that you also are being built together for what? A habitation of God in the Spirit. Does your Bible say that? Now, wait a minute. Not only then is God bringing us together to give us a direction into a certain kind of purpose which will glorify Jesus, but this coming together also is intended to be a habitation of God. The word habitation means a dwelling place, a place where somebody is. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, I'll be in their midst. How much a corporate, that is all of us together, a corporate expression as God coming down and abiding in that place. A habitation of God in the spirit. Now think of this. You also are being built together for a habitation of God in the spirit. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 24, he said that the time has come that they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is a worship that is not of the spirit. There is a worship that is designed by man. It could be very, very expensive praise by all that's gone into it. It could be very lavish. It could be a blending of sounds and music together and singing voices or choir or, and it absolutely touches your soul. It's uplifting, but yet if it's not orchestrated by the Spirit, it is nothing. And to think that you could have such a good song service and you just feel so good about it, this is in the soulish realm, this is designed by man. Because spiritual worship goes beyond man. Man in his wisdom, in the way he sees things, that how it ought to be and what's right and what's wrong. Man is like that. And he likes to design things like that because that makes him in charge. He knows, and this is the way it ought to be. And so he does that. And he leaves out the spirit because he can't control that. I mean, how would you control singing in the spirit? What songbook do you pick up and hallelujah, glory? Where do you find that? You can't because it's all now, it's God. It's okay to get started doing what you know to do. But the only kind of worship that God really wants is spirit-led worship. Is that kind of worship in the spirit that the spirit begins to lift you up and you begin to let go of your inhibitions and you begin to ascribe unto God with your mouth and with your body and words that come from your heart how you feel. We sing together. Some of the songs we get to sing it are so good. They are uplifting because there's a lot of things that God has given us to sing. The Spirit of God has given them to us. I believe there's a lot of music today that was not written by the Spirit. I do. They leave me cold. Now, you all might get all excited about it, but see, I grew up 100 years ago, and I can't relate to you all anymore. I can't a little bit. But I know the difference because I've been there. I know the difference between what is manly fleshly, and what is spiritual. Because sometimes you get into the spirit, but you're singing like the Bible, thou art worthy. There is a climate. There is a time of worship in which God can bring you together in singing in such a way that when you begin to sing some of the scripture songs, some of the Psalms or the things the Bible says, 
you get into a higher realm. You know that. You've been there. We're not there every time, but you've been there. The kind of worship that, whew, it's so good. And when a person gets in that realm and you follow that with preaching, they're pretty easy to preach to. But if you can't worship at all, preaching is very difficult because you can say all the right words and have the right meaning and have the right motivation. And it just seemed like they don't go anywhere. Anyway, that can happen. That really can happen. But in Ephesians 2, he said, God wants us to be a habitation of God. We're being built together. Now, with the idea of being built together, turn over into the back to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, where we're talking about building and a habitation of God and where that's coming. He said in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, you also... As living stones. Lively means living. You also as living stones. Who's he talking about? You, isn't he? Aren't you living stones? See, the picture is that when you build something, you've got to have building material. When God likens us as building material, he said, you are stones. God's going to build a church, and each one of you are like stones. And the Bible says you are being built Together in Ephesians 2, and he says here in First Peter 2 and verse 5, he said, you as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to do what? To offer up. Because he said, was it verse 9? He said that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood that you should do what? That you should worship and praise. One of the purposes in coming together is not just hearing the word. It's not just hearing how much of the Bible you can hear. It's to worship and adore the Lord. To give honor to him who has saved us and give us purpose and reason in life. To honor him and to tell him that we honor him. And to sing to him in praise and thank you, Lord. And give thanksgivings or enter to his courts with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Why? Because of what he's done. Nobody else could do for you what he's done. And even though the natural mind looks around and says, well, I don't see any evidence of it. Faith takes over. I'm not worshiping God because I feel good. I'm not worshiping God because I got a pocket full of money or my marriage is solved or my kid is home or a problem is fixed. I'm worshiping God because that's what he deserves. And he'll take care of all these other things. So I'm going to cast all my cares upon him. Why wouldn't I praise if I knew he took my problem upon himself and said, you don't have to handle this anymore. I'll take care of it. Why wouldn't I say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We don't. Christians who heard that, who know that, and have been taught that, don't really do that. Now, I'm not saying you don't. I'm saying a lot of Christians don't. They're still on the phone crying about their problem, wanting some sympathy. Folks, as long as you're seeking sympathy, you're not seeking anything that God's going to give you. You've got to let go of broadcasting all your problems. There's no market for problems today. It's like excuses. There's no market for excuses today. The market's full. Nobody's buying them. But you've got to give your, your best to God and worship him and praise him. He'll take care of your problems. He said he would. He said you also here as living stones are being built together. He said into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Would you agree with me then that not all sacrifices, whatever we call it, are acceptable? That only what he inspires is acceptable? Read it. Here we are, living stones, purchased, brought out of the miry clay, cleansed by his spirit, washed in his blood, planted in his courts, God says, these are mine. 
And then he begins to do a work in you. And he says, now I want you to open your mouth and give honor to the one who has saved you and honor to the one who is keeping you and honor to the one who is coming back for you. Like we read a while ago in 1 Peter 1. I want your words. I want your honor. I want you to be glad and rejoice. This is what living stones do. I want our coming together to be not only a habitation of God, but in expressing that habitation, he said, where we offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God by Jesus Christ. Now, by Jesus Christ. Does that mean he prompts us? Let me think about this. You mean that Christ in you prompts you? encourages you to offer up spiritual sacrifices? Well, this is the New Testament. We don't offer goats and animals and shed blood anymore. What kind of sacrifice are we talking about? He's talking about the fruit of your lips. The fruit of your lips, as Hebrews says. Something that you are willing to say. You know, a lot of things in life are a choice. Praise is a choice. Worship is a choice. Singing is a choice. You can if you want to. But this is what he wants. He said, because living stones, when they come together, they have a purpose. We're not just here to sit together in a room for a while and then go home. We're here for a purpose, to let God do something that as we begin to see it, we begin to thank him and praise him. Because he's not only going to do it for us, he's going to do it for our children. And he's going to make things that are not the way they should be, the way he wants it to be. And I pray the day will come when a, if a stranger walks in here and we're in the middle of worship, he'll do like that fellow years ago down in Paducah, Kentucky. This is a long time ago. We were in a Lutheran church, had a meeting there. I've been in all of them. Episcopal church, too. And we just had this meeting at the Lutheran church. About 200, 300 young folks. They were all young people. Singing was just absolutely amazing. They were singing in the spirit one time. It was like a sound of many waters. You know, it was a sound. You didn't know what anybody was saying, but it was a sound. It was that, it was that, that certain sound. And there was an old fellow that came there. I guess he was old. He was older. He had he'd been on the sea his whole life, weather-worn, seaman. And his life had gotten so bad, he decided to come back, visit his family for a brief while, and then commit suicide. And he came to the meeting that night. And it wasn't the preaching. It was a worship. And he sat back there, and he had never heard such a thing in his life. And he came up later. And wanted whatever that was. He said, that's what I'm looking for my whole life, whatever that was. And that night as we prayed for him, he got saved. And the next day as I left, he came to this youth center where I was. We sat down and talked, told me about his life and how bad he had been. He said, you know, something's happened to me. And I said, that's what happens when God saves people. But don't ever look back in order to go back. If you look back, you thank God what you delivered from. But everything is in front of you now. And you worship God. I don't know whatever happened to him. All I can tell you was that I've had the experience of seeing somebody hardened come into a time of worship, not singing first, second, and fourth stanza, but worshiping and sensed the presence of the Lord because God said it would be a habitation of God. And all they were doing was singing. It was just singing. Every man, the fruit of all their lips with their hands lifted up, Nobody is aware of the song leaders or the scenery or the building or the decorations or everybody was just thinking their focus was upon Jesus to honor him. And a fellow came into that and got saved. There's something that we haven't seen. A lot of you have never been there yet. You've never had that. You will. But there's something about when God moves like that. You don't forget it. In fact, you come back again, wear the same clothes you wore the week before, sit in the same chair, do it again, Lord, do it again. Because it's different. It's not like going to church or Sunday school or hearing a sermon and greeting somebody and tell everybody you're glad and then go home. It's something affects you. 
And that something is what God puts together in his church. The psalmist said this about God inhabiting praise. In Psalms 22, in verse 3, he said, But thou art holy that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Who do you suppose when Israel, this first people, when they worshiped, who do you suppose inhabited all of that? God. That's why the psalmist probably was able to write so much in the psalms about joy, about gladness, about praise, about all kinds of expressions before the Lord. And concerning God's people, turn to Romans 15. Concerning God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Romans 15 and verse 4. Paul writes, he said, For whatever things were written aforetime... We're written for our what? Learning. Learning. There's something we need to know. Isn't that right? Something God wants us to know. Say amen. amen. Okay. God wants us to know something. So the things that were written in the Old Testament, because they didn't have a New Testament when he wrote this. When Paul wrote these words, this was a letter. And he was referring to what we call the Old Testament. And he said, Whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one towards another according to Christ Jesus. Again, the focus is on Christ. Let's be like him. To be like Jesus we sing. He said that you might be like-minded. That, verse 6 that you might glorify God, how? With one mind and one mouth, glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to worship him together, doesn't he? Believing the same things about him, about Jesus Christ. Certain things we should all believe, that he has saved you, he has delivered you, he has come to rescue you, and so on and so forth. We should all embrace that, all of us. And he says down in verse 9, well, this is what we learn, I guess. And that the Gentiles, that would be us, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Who is being spoken of here? Notice, it wouldn't be David, the psalmist. It might have been penned by him, but it was inspired of the Holy Spirit. David wouldn't be speaking about the Gentiles. Who would be looking far ahead to know that one day he would? Would it be the Messiah? Messianic? Let's read it again, the last part. For this cause... I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing unto thy name. Well, why? Verse 8, it says, I say to you that Jesus Christ was a minister of the Jews for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify him also. He said, for this cause. I'm going to put them both together. He said, for this cause... I will confess among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Who's going to sing? If this is a quote about Jesus, does it mean that he's going to sing? Well, how in the world? How can Jesus, unless he comes down and stands here or some kind of a super, how does he sing? Let's see if we can hear him. Jesus sing. Does he sing like that? Does Jesus come down and stand in our midst and sing? Or does he sing through us? Has he chosen you to be his temple? And he brings all of his temples together to make a church. Okay? So in every one of you, there is, if you're saved, there's a resident living Christ 
who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And it appears that one of his good pleasures is to sing in the church. Sing. How can he sing except he sings through you? How can he sing through me unless I let him? He won't make me sing. I'm not going to sit here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not going to do that. He won't make me do it. He'll give me the same reasons that I'm trying to give you because of who he is. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Are you? To receive glory, glory and glory and honor and praise. Why? For thou hast created, has all things created. Thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure we were created. Then let us give pleasure to you, Lord. Thou. Why not? Do you suppose Jesus would ever prompt you to do that? And the Spirit would lead you to do that? Spiritual worship prompted by the Lord himself, the resident Lord living in you? Jesus said he's going to sing in his church. Notice again, verse 10, and again he said, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. How did his people rejoice? Who are his people? They were the Jews, weren't they? How did they rejoice? How did they rejoice? The word rejoice, there's several different words, but some of them are very ecstatic and emotional. Spin around like a top, dancing, twirling, whoo, loud noise, shouting, dancing, clapping, tambourines, horns, whoo, they did that. They just, as we would say, they got beside themselves. It makes a lot of people nervous, but God isn't nervous. God is to be praised at all times. In fact, in the times of the temple, there were singers appointed around the clock. 24 hours of every day, there was singing. They had shifts. And they were gathered together in the Korahites and whoever the singer was. And it was his job in his clan to get them together. And they, and they practiced. And they were learned and they knew how to do it. They had instruments and they had shifts. 24 hours there was praise at God's temple. Not much is said about it, but it was there. When people fell away, they quit that. And the first thing that happens when a person gets sour and despondent and falling away and kind of loses his grip, he quits or she quits singing. Your mouth goes shut, your hands go to your pockets, and you just sit there. You lost your joy. And if you don't have any joy, what kind of testimony do any of us have? We said that one time here recently. But he said, how do his people rejoice? He said, rejoice with his people. And they had all kinds of ways of rejoicing. Romans 15, 4 again says, the things that were written back then are written so as we can look back there and, and take note of what was said back there, that there are things there that are patterns for us. We may not like it because, again, we grew up in a man-made system. I am sure that the church I grew up in, the disciples of Christ, was a man-made system. And that nothing was going to be said that man did not design to be said on Sunday morning in that bulletin. You didn't do anything else. Where was the praise of God? Where was that which is acceptable to God through Christ? That's why a lot of us that have been trained like that have a hard time getting loose from that. It's just the way we always were. You know, I, never, I, ain't, I ain't into much of that. I wasn't either. I really wasn't either. And being a basketball coach, I was real conscientious of doing anything emotional. I was. Man, there's times I wanted to just let go. But I thought, oh, I got to remember, I'm, you know, I'm the coach. 
until I finally got one day said, no, I'm not the coach. I'm a Christian. And I let go, and then that, that was the end. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. If Jesus is going to sing, how is he going to sing? He's going to sing through you. And if you don't sing, if you don't give place to him as he prompts you, then he won't sing. Here's an Old Testament quote, verse 12, Hebrews 2 and verse 12 saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Now, the Old Testament said the congregation. But as it was intended to be understood by us, the things written aforetime, he's talking about the church. Who is it that then said what he said was referring to Jesus Christ? Well, the psalmist said, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I do what? I will sing praise to thee. Who's going to do that? Jesus is. Who's he going to do it through? You, me. We're going to sing. He wants us to sing to him. Again, all through history, singing marked revival. You get a man saved who never has sang before, he may not be able to, how do they say, carry a tune in a bucket. I've never understood that. Bucket. But <laughs> he doesn't have to be gifted at singing. The Bible doesn't say you have to be good at it. I've stood beside people in my life like you have that could not sing. I was sitting beside, well, I can't say at the seminar because someone knew where, well, yeah, I did. I was sitting there one time and a guy beside me singing. I had to almost shut my ear because of all the wrong notes. But I thought, you know what? His eyes are closed. I'm assuming his heart was focused on Jesus. What difference does it make if he had the right note or not? Uh, you know, he can do it any way he wants to, as long as his heart's right. Amen. As long as his heart was in it. Amen. He said, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. And in the midst of the church, I will sing to thee. Is Jesus here? I'm asking you, think about it. Is Jesus Christ in this room by his spirit? Yes. Is he here to do something? Amen. Is he here to receive something? Would he prompt us by his spirit to worship him? Because in that way, as we worship him, we are worshiping God. Jesus is the Father. The Spirit is God. We're talking about something that's over our head, but He is. Singing should mark our hearts and where we are in our Christian life. Singing. There's two or three verses we're going to use, and then we're going to close. If you can find it's the fourth book from the end of the Old Testament, Zephaniah. If you can't find Zephaniah, just go to Malachi, Zechariah, and go back that way. Habakkuk and then Zephaniah. Chapter 3. Singing. We sing this song. We sing this verse. The Lord thy God. See, now you can quote the whole verse. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee. Now, wait a minute. Time out. Time out. Let's get it together. How does he get in our midst? The church comes together and a habitation of God is formed, doesn't it? The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. What will he do? He will save. He will rejoice over you how? With joy. Joy seen in what way? He will rest in his Love, he will joy over thee. That's a sharper. Thee with singing. Are you mean to tell me that God delights over us, that he sings in our midst? That he joys over us with singing? Do you suppose that Jesus sings? Do you suppose he likes singing? Even your terrible singing. 
If it comes out of your heart, he loves it. He said, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. And he will joy over thee with singing. Did you know that singing releases joy? That the more you sing a glad-hearted song, the more you begin to rejoice. Rejoice evermore. For this is the will of God. Joy, joy, joy in my heart is ringing. I've got the joy, 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 joy down. How many songs do we sing about joy? And how many of those songs are easy to sing because of joy? You get glad-hearted. It's easy to sing. In fact, singing is natural. You wouldn't say, joy, 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 in my heart is ringing. Uh, joy, 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 Jesus, keep it. You got to sing it. You got to sing it. You say, if I don't sing good, I, a lot of people don't sing good. You don't have to. Sing in your shower. You ever sing in your shower? Make up a song? I'm sure I've been heard before singing. I don't want people to hear me because I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to impress them. I sing in my car a lot and hope my telephone's off. It's not between me and anybody. It's for me and the Lord. I've sat in my man room many times with the music going on. There's the background music just very low and, and sing and raise my hands. And just, I mean, when I raise my hands, I begin to sing the song I'm hearing. You say, well, I can't help it. I could help it. I just don't want to help it. It doesn't need any help. Just let it go. Just singing to the Lord and blessing the Lord. I will bless the Lord. What was it Paul said in Ephesians? He said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Have y'all heard that before? Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You got to sing it. That's Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit. You suppose the prompting of the Spirit, when you get into that, you'll start singing? I guarantee you. You'll start singing. I guess sometimes, like he said in Colossians 1, he said that you start singing to each other. Look at Colossians 3. You're close to it. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Oh, Jesus. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms. See, I'd put a period after another, but I didn't write this. In psalms and hymns and spiritual song, sing with grace in your hearts to whom? To the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lord. Glory to God. I just love to sing to you, Lord, driving down the road. Woo! Have you ever done that? Or you stayed in that little cage and said, I'm afraid I don't know how to do it. Nobody knows how to do it. It's the Spirit, set my spirit free. You ever hear that song? That I might worship thee. Set my spirit free, that I may praise thy name. Let all bondage go, and let deliverance flow. Set my spirit free to worship thee. Amen. There's just something about singing that is vital to worship that is one of the ways we corporately coming together express joy. And in the midst of such a place, God is pleased to dwell. I don't think God wants us to come in here with all these hang-ups that we all face and let them rule us. You shouldn't be ruled by the things that have threatened you. Why wouldn't the devil threaten you or say something about you? Why wouldn't he? You can't let that rule you. You've got to come and say, bigger than my problems is my Lord. Thou art, keep going back to that one. It shall flow like a river. It shall fall like the rain. It shall rise like the dawning of what? the Lord, him, Jesus. For thou hast created, who? 
you and me. What for? That we might offer spiritual sacrifices, the fruit of our lips, the singing unto the Lord and the blessing his holy name. We've got to be willing to do that. Like 1 Corinthians 14 says, I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding. I will sing with words I know, and I will sing with words I don't know in the spirit. But I've got to be willing to sing. And if the only time a person sings is when a song book is in front of you, then your whole idea of worship is what somebody put in that song book, and that's as far as it goes. And yet there's some songs in that song book that are uh, absolutely wonderful. A mighty fortress is our God. They're beautiful songs. Amazing grace. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I don't know how many people can sing that, but it's a wonderful song. One more verse, Isaiah chapter 55. You'll like this. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11. When you come back, when the redeemed come back, here's how God describes them. Get used to it now, because you'll be nervous if you don't. Therefore the redeemed. Deemed of the Lord shall return and come with swords and spears. How does it say they shall return? Come on. The redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. Why? Why do they come back singing? Why can't they just come back and be still? They shall return with singing. Why? They shall obtain. What? Come on. Gladness. And what else? And joy. And then what happens? And sorrow and mourning shall flee away. All those things that suppress and oppress and depress God's people all fall apart in the presence of joy. And singing. You sing joyful songs. The Lord's songs aren't sad songs. I'm not some poor wayfaring stranger trying to get out of the world. No, the Lord's songs are songs of victory and, and songs of joy. We sing one, one of the finest songs we've ever sang is Psalm 3. Though there be a thousand camped about, remember that? For thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my... How easy a song is it to sing because of, yes. For thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. He heard you. He heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and I slept. Why? Because he said he'd take care of me. That's faith. Isn't that better, folks, than being all tore up? Isn't it? Isn't that better than being depressed? Heaviness is going to come. We don't rule out all the testings and the temptations. We just rule in the fact that no matter what they are, we'll worship God. James 1, all over again, count it all joy, knowing. If you don't know, then you won't. But count it all joy, knowing this, that the testing of the faith you say you have is producing patience, endurance. And let that endurance have his perfect work because that's how God's going to perfect you. It's going to be like that. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I am thankful today for what you've done. I am thankful for the victory that you've promised us. I am thankful that in the midst of turbulent waters and difficult times in this world, and all the approaching sorrows and grief, and all the threats of tomorrow, and all the things that confront us, and the world's prognosticators, and the doom and gloom people. I thank you, Lord, that we can rise above it, all of it, that we can lift our hands and say that you will take care of us, that you will secure us, and that you will keep us in all of our ways, and you will heal us, you will provide for our needs, and you will set us free. 
I just pray, Lord, that that would be the like mind that we can all have about Jesus whom we worship. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my God. 